Welcome to A Flash of Beauty, the podcast, an audio experience dedicated to the further exploration of Bigfoot and the people Bigfoot has revealed itself to. What started as a documentary of personal narrative encounter stories and expert testimony has now shifted into a deeper inquiry into the forever changed lives of those that have witnessed firsthand this hidden truth. My name is Tobe Johnson, co-producer of Flash of Beauty Bigfoot Revealed. Join me along with the crew and creators of this doc, director Brett Eichenberger, producer Jill Rimmen-Snyder, and cinematographer Michael Ferry, as we go back into the trees to sit down once again with each guest in search of the truth, no matter how strange. All right, and we're back with Jill Rimmensnyder and Brett Eichenberger. Today's show is formatted a little bit different. We're going to uh, talk the Al Moon Lab, talk to my partner in crime, Daryl Adams. And, you know, I try to take a back seat for this one. Brett and Jill uh, answered or asked the questions as we went on and did this interview with Daryl and I. So um, let's talk about it. What do the folks have the chance to hear here? Well, I we just scratched the surface, I think, of what mysteries the Owl Moon Lab and Wilderness put forth to you guys during your few years there. Um, really, we'd need episodes and hours and hours to get into it and to get into the nitty gritty. And I wish I had that amount of time in the, the sequel and the documentary, but we're going to be covering it. You know, there's going to be a good 15, 16, maybe even 20 minutes um coming up where we really get into it but like i said we scratch the surface and that surface is rich i think you're going to really enjoy this episode there's a lot a lot that happened i'm thinking of stuff we forgot right now but uh yeah this is this is definitely a fun episode i mean this experienced we can personally both jill and i can say that it's changed our lives considerably you know so sit back, relax, and uh, listen to some good storytelling. Yeah. Well, it was a, it was a big part of my life, a big part of Daryl's life. It still is, you know, it's a place that I think about every day and, you know, go through the things that you think about every day and then put them in the category of, well, how important is that to you? I guess this must be pretty damn important because I think about it all the time. I'm covered by little trinkets, you know, from from the area, including this little small plastic dinosaur I have in my hand that was bizarrely gifted to Daryl and I in a strange and unique way. This weird, muddy cell phone. I've got strange objects all around that probably make me look like a, a, a madman to most people. But what do you do if you think Bigfoot is gifting you strange gifts? Do you throw them away? Do you tend to forget about it? I, I can't forget about it. And uh, so for me, it's just a part of my life that I have to allow in and, and snowball. And Daryl was in the, uh, you know nice enough, as I say in this interview, for allowing me to live on the property. You know, maybe I was trying to get as close as I could, all of Jane Goodall, Goodall style, to uh, to get close to this Bigfoot stuff. And um, we, we, we found more than just Bigfoot on the property. I'll just put it that way. You found each other. 
Yeah. That's the, that's the bromance nod there real quick. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Jill, you've been down to the area. You've had some stuff happen. We talk a little bit about that as well. And you even bring some, some friends of yours down in the area, which uh, I've, you know, I've yet to talk to them about coming down there, but you can attest that it's a unique and exciting land. Is it not? Uh, yes, there's, God, there, where do you begin? Um, there's, you know, we've had moments down there in, in the wilderness area, uh, like, okay. So if you're listening to the podcast and, uh, just to give you a visual, if you haven't seen the documentary, it is kind of like a fishbowl. Uh, you go off a, like a logging or forestry road and it's just, it's just like a big bowl and uh there are times you'll you'll be down there and you'll hear the birds chirping the sun will be filtering through the trees and everything's warm and happy and like just like that it's like a vacuum like everything gets sucked out of there there's no noise you feel the air feels thick and it just does not feel right. And you just want to get out of there. So we've experienced that. And, you know, it's really interesting just to kind of not avoid your question, but um, this has been on my mind since the since the interview with Daryl. Um, he mentioned, I mean, he shared a lot of info with us and he's captured a lot of evidence and he's been very forthright in all these experiences, but he said just kind of quickly in passing, he's like, and there's, you know, I've witnessed and experienced a lot of stuff that I haven't shared with anyone. I don't know if you guys caught that, but I was like, Daryl, <laughs> I was waiting for him to open up. So maybe we need to do a follow-up show. I'm just saying where we we put Daryl in the hot seat to find out what else is going on. Daryl's deleted scenes. Yeah, like what <laughs> what has he been? I think those are behind the beaded himself. curtain, right? Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll bribe Daryl with tacos, <laughs> barbecue, or fudge, fudge, probably. Yeah, or f yeah Rocky yeah. Road. I think you said <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it was a big part of my life, and. Um, you know, to fill in the blanks here, if you're just tuning in, you've never heard of the Al Moon Lab, you don't know Daryl Adams, you don't know what the hell we're talking about. You can check out the documentary. We hope that you do. And there you can pick up the pieces. It's called A Flash of Beauty Bigfoot Revealed. For some reason, we reveal a lot, and so do a lot of other witnesses. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Tubi. You can find it on, did you say Voodoo, V-U-D-U? It's on a lot of streaming platforms. Anyway, it's a pleasure to to talk to Daryl, and um, that's exactly what we're going to do here. So here we go. Daryl Adams, can you hear me now? Yeah. I got you. <laughs> All right. So we got a wild show here, at least on my end. Daryl Adams and I have a, a history together. If you've seen the doc, then you know a little bit about uh, the background that Daryl and I have started in the town of Cottage Grove. And it was just based upon social media that we met. And he reached out to me about the London Trackway, which is uh, an interesting little tidbit of news coming up about that. So stay tuned to social media 
on that as well, because that's an undulating story of mystery. But Daryl, the last thing he ever suspected is that he would have his own really intense Bigfoot story. Is that fair, Daryl? When you moved there, did you think that you were going to be in the middle of a Bigfoot story? Uh, no, no way. Absolutely not. I just, you remember what I said was I was normal when I got here <laughs> and that was, that was it. So the way we're yeah. going to do this here moving forward is um, Brett and Jill, you guys are on board. Hello, Brett and Jill. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the Flash of Beauty podcast. <laughs> and we didn't really know what to do here. I think the best thing to do is to probably sit back and just kind of freeform this conversation as much as possible. I'd like to, you know, sit back as much as possible and hear hear what questions anyone has for Daryl and, and myself. But um, it's a strange story that, uh, for the most part, has simmered down quite a bit the last year and a half. And uh, but we still have a lot of questions about this place that we ended up calling the Al Moon Lab. And we can get into uh, how it got that crazy name and why we put the tagline a paranormal experiment at the end of this book, this story about uh, about this place. But um, Brett, Jill, who wants to go first? Well, seeing as how I just spent the last four or five days editing your guys's story in full for the sequel a flash of beauty paranormal bigfoot coming soon to a screen near you um i i've i've got a few questions um but i think the most important point or part to start off with is in the beginning and um you know i know you guys you guys first met because daryl had moved to town and he was looking for somebody to kind of help him explain some weird noises and, and whatnot in the trees behind his house out near Cottage Grove. Um, can you guys kind of talk about that that first meeting at the London Tracks and um, kind of take us to how it subsequently led to this incredible discovery of the knees? Um, can you kind of kind of walk us through there and give us sort of because that's the catalyst that kind of unlocks the paranormal door daryl take it away uh well it was um i had been invited to me and my brother had been invited to a, a thing they're going to have again this year they have it every year called beachfoot it's put on by uh todd niece every year up in up in oregon there and when i was there i met ron moorhead and I was just having a conversation with him around the campfire. And I told him where I was at. And he said, oh, there's a good friend of mine that lives there in Springfield named Tobe Johnson. And uh, just hit him up on Facebook or whatever and get a hold of him. And you, and he'll gladly come out and help you out with some of that weirdness that's going on around your place there with the sounds and everything. So I uh, contacted Tobe and we kind of... After a couple of weeks, we're able to hook up out. It was actually the anniversary of the London Trackway, and the property that I own was within a two miles of the crow flies from there. So I met him down there, and that's how we met, and it just kind of progressed from there. Cool. Yeah, it was uh, it was just a quick little blurb. Uh, 
you don't know me. I moved to Cottage Grove. I saw your video about these footprints on the lake bed. Um, you know, if you ever want to meet up. And so we went down there. I think it was close to, you know, February, March time frame. And he was kind of the only one. I think Aaron maybe joined us, my girlfriend. But for the most part, it was just Daryl and I talking Squatch on a sunny day in the little town of Cottage Grove. And then he springs something on me about him getting lucky. You got lucky, Daryl, on a elk hunt and drew a tag for a plot of land kind of right above his house, uh, which is a hot spot of sightings uh, there. I can go through a list of four people that, you know, the audience probably wouldn't know, but Bigfooters, BFRO people and such, uh, regular locals, what we would call Grovers from that area, hunters that had had class A sightings of, you know, one or more individuals, recent sightings, but not me. I mean, let's just get that clear before this, you know, the UFO stuff and the orbs and the lights and kind of shadows and cool stories and nothing really concrete that just said, oh, you know, this is the epicenter of just not only Bigfoot, but the weirdness. And so I, I never, you know, of course, Daryl and I never thought anything about that right then and there. We just thought about getting up in the woods together and looking for an excuse. And I was a truck driver at that time. So for me, going back and forth up and down the highway at odd hours of the day was kind of my my mainstay. And Daryl was recently retired as a contractor and we found a way to do it. It was a good Friday. Uh, I believe it was, um, well, it was 2018. I forget the actual date now, but it was good Friday, uh, before Easter. And it was also the full moon also known as the owl moon, which brought us up to the hillside and we got skunked, right, Daryl? Yeah. Yeah, we did. It was actually, I had drawn a tag that, for an elk and it, it takes like, a, a, you can only get them about every five or six years. So, and, and I believe the last day of the hunt was the day we were there. It was like March 31st, something like that. And so we just kind of headed up there late in the afternoon and that's when it all happened with the knee impressions. Did you, yes. did I mean, you ever get the elk, Daryl? Did you ever get the elk? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, I never did. Okay. For me, for me, hunting's more like just going out and having fun and enjoying the forest more than it is hunting most of the time. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the London trackway was such a big deal for Bigfooters that were on the lake. And what I learned from that is that, um, you always got to take as much evidence as possible, including rolling film or, in this case, my Samsung Galaxy or iPhone, whatever I had going. And so we were making little sh short videos up in the woods. And um, I looked out the passenger window. Daryl and I were just headed up to a spot where he thought there might be some interesting uh, stick signs or tree breaks that he had found. And I peeked out the passenger side window and it looked like somebody had taken a basketball and dribbled it in the red clay off the gravel road. It was these round, deep impressions. This looked like two little dribbles in the red clay. And so Daryl backed up after I called it out. And um, then we, we rolled some video, which, you know, not a lot of people have seen this video because 
I don't know what to say about it. It's not like you see anything more than what looks like these dribble marks in the red clay. But then Daryl and I leaned down and got on our hands and knees. It was a gorgeous day. It was still like three o'clock in the afternoon. And um, that's when you hear in the video me say, Daryl, you know, I'm not the great white hunter here. I go through the list of animals that it could be. And Daryl's unsatisfied with those animals as being, you know, out there dribbling basketball or getting down on their knees. It, it, it looks like knee impressions is what it looked like to us. Now, Daryl, um, you can take it from there. Yeah, I, I told Tobe it looked like someone got mad at their little brother and jammed his head into the mud in two spots. What it looked like. It was real strange. It was not footprints. It looked like some big giant hairy thing kneeled down there on two knees. And it was kind of a, there was kind of a deer trail to the left. So it was kind of like a perfect ambush point for an animal. If they came down the top of the hill there off the ledge, they would be surprised by whatever was kneeled down there. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed to me from, you know, the video, which I had never seen until a few days ago that it's the per and, and having being in the exact location, it is kind of the perfect spot. I mean, it's ironic that it's right next to the road, you know, and I know that would raise probably a few eyebrows, but, but it does actually make a perfect spot for something to, you know, prey upon another creature. Um, and I think the video is very, very compelling. Don't sell yourself short, Tub. You did a great job shooting it. And I think when people see it, they're going to be stunned by the detail in the prints. You can clearly see where the fur is or the hair is. And there's hair embedded in the mud. I mean, it's extraordinary. And you're pulling the hair out with tweezers and stuff. So you'll see this in the sequel, you guys. So uh, hang on. We'll try and get it out to you as soon as we can. And, you know, just to, just to add to what Brett said about um, the the video, the documentation of where you where you took the knee impressions, but mm -hmm. also all the documentation, uh, uh, even down in the Al Moon Wilderness, uh, even uh, at the how at the workshop, um, you know, just th the things that were going on there. Just great job and, you know, way to be thinking to be uh, to document all that. Well, you know, the London tracks were in dispute at that point. Um, and I, I, you know, when we found those knees, I was fully aware that the trackway, you know, 122 prints nearby found in the mud. And it was a lot of work. It was four days worth of work, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, well, let's test, uh, let's test the waters here. <laughs> You know, I was doing live events down the road at a little bar once a month with Bigfooters. And I thought, well, let's just do our due diligence here in the process and see what we come back with as far as it being something innocuous. And, and we could explain it and talk about casting tracks and taking samples and grabbing hair. And so that's what we did. That was our only real goal, although we were mystified at the size and the depth. And um, then to our surprise, um, you know, the next month we had to wait, I think a month or it was about a, a week or two. We bring these plaster casts in, which was one solid unit of information out of plaster. And then um, we put up 
a gal who is a veterinarian. Uh, I believe that's the, that her total CV and resume is a gal named Cindy Dosen who runs this hair analysis, Bigfoot club. Uh, I shouldn't say club. It's called the hominid enigma scientific review for the Olympic project, which is a Bigfoot organization. And she's kind of the go-to gal. And so she got on camera in front of this crowd and said, you know, this is something anomalous. These hairs don't have an explanation to them that you sent to me. And they're, I think it's number five out of over a hundred or something like that hair is maybe over 200 if i remember correctly don't get mad at me cindy if i'm wrong about that information but it got a bigger question going as far as like well what what exactly do we have here and is she correct and when we brought those knees back to daryl's house which again was only what 15 minutes away from where i'm doing these live bigfoot events I mean, in full disclosure, I'm a Bigfoot nerd, right? Like I'm doing podcast about the paranormal Sasquatch. I'd been doing so off and on for 10 years. And Daryl kind of got caught up in my Bigfoot fetish. And he's just like, well, you know, all this Bigfoot stuff's happening and you're into Sasquatch. So I could see maybe a little bit of cause of concern as far as, you know, just like, how is this possible? But you have to know that I was thinking the same thing about him. Because I'm not quite sure about these London tracks, right? Um, so that's when things really got interesting, is when we brought those knee impressions back to his house, it seemed to be, I don't know, Daryl, it seemed like it, we turned a light switch on. Yeah, it, it was crazy. Also, that, that um, to go back to that road where those knee impressions were on, it, it's an old abandoned logging road that dead ends up there. So there's not there's not much traffic at all on it other than a, an occasional hunter during hunting season. So you know there's um, so I'd hunted on that road a couple times and then up on the top I had found some like a tree structures and stuff. That's what I was taking you up there to show you. I never you know saw anything other than that. But um, once like you said once we brought those back and also Cindy. Dosen, she said that um, they were from a lower extremity on the on the knee impression. So we were kind of wow, how could she even ever know that? You know, the knee knee being lower, you know, extremities of a body. But once we got those impressions back, first we had them in my little garage, my car garage, and then we were waiting for the red clay to dry so we could kind of like scientifically remove it with, you know, we always use rubber gloves and everything not to, not to touch anything. And then we carried them over. I made a little thing, uh, a little carrier for them, probably still in it, but uh, we carried them into the shop. And then that's when I think it was a couple days later, there was some crazy little dinosaur, plastic dinosaur, or something sitting on them and just all kinds of crazy stuff happened. And the other thing about them that I felt was weird was how fresh they were. And they looked like they're, they were 12 hours old at the most. You know what I mean? Um, so that was unique. Well, it was kind of par for the course. We didn't really know that, but there was this constant freshness to this, uh, you know, the Al Moon Lab. There was... There was nothing that you could predict. It was morning, day, and night as far as activity. And it seemed to be 
you know, right behind you, kind of just waiting for you to turn your your back on it. And I, you know, I looking back at those knee impressions, they were super fresh. In fact, the right knee was just starting to cave in a little bit and there was some slough off from the dirt above it. But beyond that, Daryl, um, you know, Cindy said that about the lower extremity of it, which I thought was interesting that she would have guessed that for sure. If they were knees, they certainly yeah. look like knees. But then she goes, was there a tree above those knee impressions? And I said, I don't know. I'll have to go back and see. She goes, well, I'm guessing this thing was mid jump, you know, yeah, springing right. up someplace like Tigger. And I thought, well, that'd be interesting. And sure mm -hmm. enough, right above those knees is a giant fir tree. And in the bark, was a piece of red clay about five or six feet up with a hair sticking out of it. And um, Daryl and I both grabbed that hair and it, it fell into the wind and it floated away. I don't know if we got that on yeah. camera or what, but it doesn't really matter. Cindy Dawson, there's no way she could have known that there would be red clay up in that tree with the same hair. And these are beard-like hairs, right? This is not black uh, bear hair. Um, you know, it could have been a cow as far as I was concerned because of the depth. But the other thing weird about them too is that they're really close together compared to what you would think. Because I think it was 1,400 pounds of pressure thereabouts to make these prints according to a Boeing engineer. And uh, they certainly were knee impressions according to the orthopedic surgeon that looked at the photographs and the the sonographer from Seattle that came down looked at him. Uh, so we were certain what we had anatomically was probably right, but they seemed awful close together. So looking back, and this is kind of here nor there, is that I'm wondering whether or not it wasn't a pivot of some kind of one knee adjusting and going into the, the same mud. You see what I mean? So it could have been the right knee going in twice for some reason and not so much left and right knee. There's no way to really tell. Uh, but anyway, that that's kind of some new information and that's the way this stuff goes. You could kind of takes forever. Daryl and I found out to, to rule out and to debunk or rethink or reposture your position on stuff. But it, like I said, it was an on switch. As soon as we brought those knees down to the house and Daryl's wife was working full time, Daryl's retired. I'm a truck driver. And um, Cindy was skeptical. She was glad that Daryl and I, uh, you know, were hanging out together and keeping him busy because uh, he, you know, was home, retired, freshly retired. He was, how many hours did you work prior to that? You, you had long hours as a construction guy. Oh, yeah. I worked down in California during all the housing booms, working <laughs> Every day, 12 hours, sometimes 14, most of the time, six days a week Wow! for years. And so when I met him, so, he, yeah. he had nothing but pretty, time. Sure crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. yeah. So, so the plastic dinosaur shows up. That's the first thing that kind of starts. And then you guys start hearing sounds. But before that, though, before that, Daryl, you were hearing sounds in the in the trees behind your house. And just to kind of paint a picture for folks listening, I mean, the trees behind your house, the forest behind your house goes to 
infinity. I mean, it just keeps on going over the Cascades and on and on and on. I mean, you could pull up a map and look, you know, east of Cottage Grove and just look at the Umpqua National Forest and it just it goes until it hits desert, essentially. So it's an endless terrain for habitation of of Bigfoot, um, of anything, really. And um, you started hearing. So at what point did you start hearing those howls, those crazy howls in your in your forest? Well, we we'd moved in there in December, so, you know, it was raining. Mm-hmm. So when I would take my little dog out at night, Izzy, to go to the bathroom before we went to bed, we would sometimes I would hear. When I would walk out, whatever's out in the woods knew I knew I walked out. So you would hear the the usual gruff like rah, rah, like that or <laughs> or some kind of warning sounds. But it was raining, so I couldn't record anything or any of that. But and then after you're there for a few months, you just get kind of used to all that. But yeah, pretty much right off the bat, I would start hearing those sounds up in the woods, tree knocks normally three just three like a warning like boom 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 Hmm. and um that was kind of right off the bat but it was rainy and you know bad weather so really couldn't didn't stay outside listening for that stuff at that point did you did you talk to any of your neighbors you know when you guys moved in um did anybody gonna give you sort of any sort of heads up that this was kind of a an area a strange area uh, once I got to know the neighbors a little more, yeah, every one of them, uh, <laughs> especially Chris, you know, the guy, the, the worm farmer guy that we call yeah. Wormy. Yeah. I kind of nicknamed him that. And then also the gal that lived behind us, uh, in the yurt, she was a single mother raising her little 10 year old son. And she had told me that, um, something kept throwing pine cones at their yurt at night and keeping her son up and. And they would uh, come by the windows and scare them. So she put up a um, a big nightlight with a, a sensor on it. Mm. And she said that that seemed to deter them. You know, they set it off a few times and then they they didn't mess with her anymore. Yeah. And then and then you know the story. Um, Chris, the guy we call Wormy, he has a actual sighting in his driveway when he was out getting wood one night. I don't know if I know that story or not. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was out, you know, he had a house, he had the wood stove and he kind of lived back in those woods there a little. So that's pretty much what they depended on for heat during the winter months. Mm -hmm. And he had his wood pile in an old shed right across the, his driveway, which went right up into those, those woods back there. And he was just coming out one night about 10 to stoke up his fire for the night to keep him warm. And, had his little mag light in his hand and he got some chunks of wood in his hands and put his mag light in his mouth. And he, he heard something and looked up with his mag light. I guess he put the wood down and here's this giant Sasquatch standing there with glowing blue eyes. He said, said beautiful blue eyes. And he started to reach down, I guess, to get the wood and pick it back up and it got closer. So he ran in the house. Wow. So that was his, uh, that was his sighting of the Bigfoot, but he uh, he had a lot of UFO stuff going on with him. Yeah, I want to go back real quick, Daryl, because the bluing the blue eye thing was really odd. Um, 
I guess maybe not so odd if that's just the color of one individual or several individuals out there with glowing blue eyes, but he wasn't the only guy saying blue eyes. In fact, um, I took a, another encounter story from a hotel maid down the street who hadn't heard of Wormy, didn't know about the blue-eyed bear. Um, I think he said it was an upright blue-eyed bear that advanced on him. She said that when she was up near that same area, uh, she had seen what she called a blue-eyed spider. <laughs> mm. And uh, there, I'll edit that part out. Sorry, my fault. Rich, Rich German was trying to get a hold of me. Let me let me pause this here. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, didn't he give you an update, Brett, that the world's ending on the fourth or something? <laughs> no, no, bank collapse, stock market collapse. Oh. That's or probably May, why he's calling May 4th. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let me back up here. Three. You've been two. warned, Daryl. <laughs> oh, so okay. uh, the blue eyed bear thing was was certainly an Al Moon thing that we we had to get used to, although I never saw this. I did talk to a house cleaner down the road unaware of the story, and she said that she saw this low crawling, what she called a blue eyed spider. Um, crawling near one of the uh, ponds up that way. And uh, I said, well, what do you mean spider? And she goes, well, whatever it was crawled like a spider, but it, it was huge and it had these glowing blue eyes. Um, you know, and you hear that periodically about them crawling kind of like, you know, on their fingers and toes advancing on people. Um, I've, I've heard encounter stories about that. Never, never seen anything, but that I thought that was interesting. So, you know, we should just let people know out front this this story has a lot of has a lot of legs to it. We're not going to be able to talk about it all. That's why you'll have to go no. see part two. But um, in short, you know, once once I moved, I eventually move in on this property. Daryl invites me out that way to research. And so in between driving truck, um, I park my my camper there on the property kind of thinking we're going to excavate these knees and um, I'm going to build this replica for Ron Moorhead. Uh, we ended up calling Biggie for this uh, kind of recreation of the Sierra sounds up in the Bohemia mountains. <laughs> and, you know, we're have just having this Bigfoot. We have Bigfoot on the brain. We have the supernatural on the brain. I, I have a podcast plainly about the supernatural and Sasquatch. And, um, so I'm, I'm not going to pretend as though those things weren't happening, but as things started to unfold, it just got to the point where just like, well, you can't make this stuff up. There's no way that Daryl is going to be able to hoax handprints, oily giant human type handprints on this shop that Jill was talking about. And that was really the first for me, you know, the sounds and the screams, it could be Bigfooters up in the mountains. We know it's a Bigfooty area. And, but then when I saw Daryl said, come here, I, you know, I just had this shop built and we got these giant, greasy, oversized handprints underneath the door jam as though somebody's standing between the door jam and the sidewalk. And, you know, there's woods behind there and an apple orchard and that's about it. Um, so there definitely no homeless people coming down in that area, not of the typical origin. And these handprints have 
friction ridges. They have skin folds attached to them on the white paint from where these dirty, greasy hands were. And for me, that, you know, that was a game changer. Something seemed to be interested in the property. Not to mention the, the squeezed gutter, you know, the downpipe. There's that too. So, so it was almost like the thing may have been trying to push up and was maybe getting a grip or I, who knows, who knows? It's really strange. Jill had a point. Well, wait, so I'm refresh my memory on the timeline because did the, did the paranormal activity that was happening within the house and like the UFO stuff, was that all coinciding with the Bigfoot activity or did one start before the other? Uh, I think the Bigfoot stuff started first. Oh. Yeah, and then it 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 kind of that was a brand new shop I had built right when I moved in there. So that thing was a month old when Tobe got over there. Wow. And it and it looked it looked like after he put the knee impressions in there that something tried to lift the the door frame out of place. The giant fingerprints were underneath the like something eight or ten foot tall stood there and tried to pick up on it to get in there. <laughs> And that's how it left those big fingerprint impressions up underneath the top of the door jam. What and other kind of property it, damage did you have? Was it just the uh, shop? Um, no, we had we had a uh, a fence in the back that had T posts. You know, the like farmers used to keep their livestock in those metal T posts that you pound in the ground. We had two of those that something looked like just took its hand and bent the bent two of them down that happened too and also the the downspout that Brett was talking about off the gutter up about eight or ten feet it looked like something one-handed just squeezed it squished it in it was a brand new downspout well and go back to the t-post because these are rod iron T-posts and they're bent about three quarters of the way up. So the torque has to be different than if it's bent down at the bottom. Yeah. It's not, it's bent at the top. And yeah, it's like they use two hands to just one hand on top and the other one just a bit. Yeah. And there's a dingleberry hanging on the fence afterwards. Like you can't make this <laughs> stuff up that. a full on Klingon <laughs> hanging on the wire. And I'm well, having full on conversations fence, yeah. with what, you know, we're trying to come up with a name besides habituators to describe people that live with this phenomena. And here we are maybe going to live with it. I'll, you know, although I'm still trying to rule out hoaxing by this wormy cat, who's kind of an odd duck, the gal in the yurt, who's a hundred yards back in the orchard and Daryl, who I don't really know. And, um, but then when I am <laughs> talking to these other Sasquatch contactees, that have been living with their own phenomena, one in particular in Colorado, she says you need to talk to them like they're teenagers and tell them to quit that crap out. No more, no more roughhousing around the property, no more property damage, or they can't come back. So I tell Daryl, I'm going to go out in the trees and I'm going to have a conversation with nothing. And he said, well, you're nuts. All right, you go for it. I'm going to go inside. And so it wasn't more than a couple days later, we go in the backyard and those T-posts are bent back up damn near to the point where they were factory set. I mean, there's there's still a you bend in it, tell. but something yeah. had gone out of its way 
to sneak in the backyard in the dead of night and put those T posts back as close as it could to that 90 degree angle. So then I knew that it wasn't wormy. I knew it wasn't Daryl. It couldn't have been me because I didn't have hydraulics to do it. And it would have taken something crazy like that. Right. But here now, so we're having a conversation with something that's listening. So what the hell's listening? Cause I haven't seen anything. And then Daryl, you and my son claim to have seen something shortly after we start getting this row of gifts of significance, you know, these, um, and we'll get to what Jude and Daryl saw. Um, but all these little gifts that started showing up were uh, odd toys and things like that, that were placed in locked up spots and they had these patinas on them. And it's kind of like something found a toy at an old campsite and it has the mossy or muddy patina or found it in a, a creek bed or the, the dump, which there was a dump not far from Daryl's and it was accessible. And if you've seen the doc, we certainly talk about, you know, things going into the dump. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Then Daryl, why don't you describe? Cause I, I didn't see what you saw. We, we were getting gifts on top of my trailer delivered on top of the vinyl awning. And these were, you know, everything from rifle shells to carnelian stones to pieces of what looked like Palo Santo wood. Um, and it's about seven feet up on a vinyl awning. Uh, and this yeah, when, was kind of like, a, we, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I remember we were talking about, um, like the Red Sox or something hadn't been in the World Series forever. And we were talking about baseball, the World Series. And the next day, remember that baseball that was embedded in the driveway? Yeah. Right so behind your Jeep? Things that we had talked about started showing up. And it wasn't as though that baseball was landed in the yard. Something had gone there and drilled it into the gravel so it wouldn't roll out or put it down, you know, with with weight but then you and jude claim that jude is my son by the way and he's had some incredible weird stuff happen with his dad while out bigfooting and then you guys are standing by my trailer looking in the blackberry brush and what do you see out there in the middle of the day we see something on the side of a tree where the blackberry vines are growing that i can't explain it looks like a mirage like when you're driving out in the desert and, you know, it looks like there's water in front of you, but that's not really water. It kind of looked like that on the tree, on the side of the tree. We both saw it, like, almost at the same time. And Jude kind of freaked out. And I was like, wow, that is crazy. How could a mirage be on, the, on a tree? So that's mm -hmm. what we saw. Like a silvery, watery, it, it looked like mercury, you know, the mercury stuff, like a big blob of it, eight foot, all the way from the ground, eight foot up a tree. Did it look like, what, what did it look like the predator? Did it look, uh, you know, it might be cloaked? I would, I would say more of like a, like water or mercury more. Okay. Like a shiny, but it wasn't. You can like see through it though, too. So yeah, probably like that. Hmm. Interesting. So, Daryl, so we both kind of almost saw it at the same time. 
you've had, you know, you've caught, you've captured all this audio and video evidence. Um, you've also captured like some howls that I don't know, sounded like some crazy wolf to me, but you've also, you've shared some video of, um, what did you call it? The robot, the, the tin man or whatever. There was some, you went down into, I'm kind of jumping ahead. Sorry guys. But if I don't ask, I'll forget. Um, but you've seen other things down in that area. So, I mean, this is more than just Bigfoot going on. This is like a, a smorgasbord of. Crazy. Yeah, we could go on for two hours about stuff I've seen around there. There's even stuff I haven't talked about. But um, one day I was going down in there. Cindy was actually with me. I was I had habituated that area for almost two years by then, you know, with peanut butter and cookies about every week. <laughs> uh, eggs. I did all kinds of stuff there. But anyways, I was down there and I'd gotten my game cam, I think, or the card out of it. And I was coming back and I see this thing off off to my right, probably, I don't know, maybe 50 yards. It wasn't real far. And it kind of stepped forward and I stopped. And every time I'd go down there, because so much was happening, I would get, kind of get my phone ready. You know, I'd get it ready with the to take a picture or a video. So I didn't miss anything. But um, I see this thing just move at first. And being a hunter, you know, that's what you do. You kind of get in a tree stand or you, you sit and wait and you look for some kind of movement. So I see this thing move and then it catches my vision and I look down in there. And then I see its hand move, and then that's when it scared the heck out of me. And I took a picture of it, and it looked like a tall, minute bowl basketball player in a silver, solid silver suit. And it looked like it had a hat or a helmet on, kind of like the Pope's hat, you know, that points up like a diamond-shaped hat. And that's mm -hmm. about the time I scrambled up the hill and got in a truck with Cindy, and we took off out of there. It scared me. Nothing at all weird about any of that daryl <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that that's one of the there's a few things that really scared me down in there but that was one of them did that you scared me really bad did you at any point in time daryl did you ever feel threatened or feel like you know you your safety or cindy's safety was in jeopardy i mean i know you just talked about that but there was nothing that was aggressive that came towards you right no, one time I was down there getting some stuff. I think that uh, Tobe had left down in there on the stump. I was down there maybe taking a picture of what it, what was there, what was brought back there. And then the the hill kind of dropped off there, and there was a bunch of bushes. And it was like the whole ground just started shaking, like there was a herd of buffalo coming up the hill. I don't know what was going to happen, but I took off out of there. Hmm. And that was another time I was really scared there. But that was pretty much the only time that I felt a little bit threatened there. Uh -huh. Was that time when I heard the, the ground rumbling like there was a herd of buffalo coming behind those bushes. And then once I got up there to where I was by the truck and safe, I looked down there and there was nothing there. Interesting. I you mean, know you know, we were out yeah. there. 
we were out there a dozen times, maybe, maybe more. And many of those times, you know, you guys weren't there. Toe was in Washington or, you know, you were in Cottage Grove and we had other stuff going on. We needed to get footage or, or whatever it was. We went out there with Tara Harris and yeah. um, did an interview out there. And the night that we did an interview with Tara or the evening, it, there was an electricity in the air. Like I hadn't felt prior and haven't felt since at that location and jill was off with tara and her friend for for a little while in a different part of the woods and mike and i are setting up the interview we're setting up lights and chairs and stuff like that man and we're hearing like the weirdest sounds almost like something was building something in the trees not hammer and nails but like there was an organized, it wasn't just like branches breaking. There was an organization to it. There was a, a rhythm to it. And then in the middle of the interview, um, we heard a, I don't even know if it was a growl or what it was. It was some sort of a, it was a very strange sound that we picked up on the microphone. Um, but there was, that's the only time that I've ever had kind of a foreboding feeling in that location it's very very strange hey brett yeah. what about what about when we were down there with cassandra and it got yeah. weird so we took uh cassandra who's a an associate producer on the documentary and she's she's a skeptic when we told her we are doing this documentary she thought we were crazy and uh so we took which, her which we are crazy a little Sorry. bit so we took her down there and everything felt just a little off but there was one area right before the the gifting stump where she stopped and she put out her arms and she's like this is wild like all her hair was like it's like static electricity like all the hair on her head was starting to like you know what I mean? Like, like when you rub a balloon on your head and like yeah. your hair starts to go, that was happening. Yeah. Her hand, she was like peeling like one of those Mandarin oranges. Her hands were just shaking. She's like, feel me. She's like, I'm vibrating. And then like, she kind of stepped away out of that area. And she's like, nope, not over here. And then it kind of dissipated. But no, there's been times we've been down there where it's been slightly uh foreboding it's different it's been different i mean you and mike heard yeah a stream we heard no something on there. two feet splashing around in the stream i figured it was like an elk or like a person waiting but yeah but there's no stream in there is yeah. there daryl <laughs> um there's a little uh a seasonal creek that runs down through there down there to the right but it unless it's raining or has been raining quite a bit, it doesn't run much. Yeah, and this was in the summertime. But it, but it, yeah, it's not it's not easy to get to either. It's no, really this sounded thicket, like it was just beyond like just a stone's throw, like from where the stump, the gifting stump was. And this was loud. It sounded like there's maybe two or three feet of water that someone was really thrashing around in. No, there's nothing there with like that. That's the area that me and Toby split up one day and something was knocking on a tree in between us mm. somehow. 
Yeah, whatever was, was really going on there, I mean, it's hard not to call this area like a can of worms because it's everything all at once. And that's the way, you know, the story goes is it's not just a Bigfoot story, but this is the way that these Sasquatch contactees explain things and they don't want to talk about it because it's not just, you know, one thing and the weirder it gets, the stranger they sound, the you know, less credibility you think they're going to have. Uh, but, yeah. you know, like I told Daryl in the beginning, um, I just like, well, you know, my name is sullied because of the fact that I think there's something supernatural going on here. If you want a Bigfoot with me, then um, just know that you're going to be guilt by association <laughs> if we start talking about this stuff. And Daryl had the best attitude about it. He's just like, oh, I don't care. The truth, the truth. And um, let the chips fall where they may. So all these little sounds that you guys have been explaining that you haven't seen anything consequence with these are the things that were happening back at the house which is some i don't know maybe a mile or more from the woods which we called the al moon lab and then the woods we called like the al moon wild and daryl's actively inviting people into the area uh, to experience this because at this point um you know we'll fast forward here i move i go to washington up in the Olympic Peninsula here in a little town called Olala. And um, that's when Daryl started getting confirmation from other people. And, you know, eventually Mark Parker, who we've always already spoken with, had a sighting that w really shook him up at the Al Moon Wild. Um, you know, I remember say, that. Yeah. I mean, talk a little bit about it, Daryl. Um, well, one night, me and Mark had been up there a few times. Did he tell you the story about the egg in the road the time we pulled up? You know, when I would go down there, I would just give him a plethora of things. Egg, I would boil like about 50 eggs and leave 50 unboiled like an Easter egg hunt. <laughs> I, would, I, I would just sit at home and go through old ways, like even old war things that they did booby traps for people, nothing to harm anyone or anything, just to, to figure out, you know, what was there, try to get some fingerprints, DNA, hair, stuff like that. Um, but anyways, me and I had put about, I don't know, a week prior to that, I would check it about once a week. But prior to that, I had put out probably, I don't know, four dozen eggs down in there. And I would wrap them with two-sided tape and put bacon grease on the things and tape them up. And I had fingerprints. I had hair. I just had so much stuff. I just finally gave up, you know, really. Mm. Once you get all this stuff, it's like, okay, yeah, you got that. So what? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> it just gets kind of redundant. But anyway, me and Mark pull up one day down there and that's when he, he's cast them too. He's got some juvenile footprints that he cast down in there. But, um, Here's an egg in the middle of the road, in that logging road up top there, you know, where you park. Mm -hmm. And it's, Mark's like, what is that? I go, that's one of those eggs I left here a week ago. We walk over to it. It's standing up right in the middle of the road, like someone had just sat it there. It is one of the eggs that's not boiled. It's just a raw egg sitting there, doesn't have a scratch on it. Whoa. So, However it got there, it had to come up from down below. And, you know, going up that that hill there is not an easy thing. 
So if you think in your mind, if a raccoon grabbed that, a crow or whatever, it doesn't have a scratch mark, a dirt mark or nothing. It looked like it was fresh out of the egg crate, sat there in the middle of the road. So that was freaky. And then that's when Mark went down in there and he found those footprints and he found the little juvenile footprint down in there. But then that was, um, you know, we'd went in there a couple times. So there was going to be a full moon. And Mark's like, hey, let's go up there during the full moon. So, okay, come on. So we, we get up there. It's about, it's, you know, later, it's in the summer. So it doesn't get dark until around 10, 9.30. I mean, pitch dark. So we're sitting up there about nine or so in our chairs, kicking back. And you know how you can look down in there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of on a on a ledge there, or whatever. And we're just sitting there talking. Mark's had borrowed his dad's monocular, you know, one of the night vision, and it was a really good one. It, it didn't do video, but it was a really good uh, no, monocular. It, it, well, it was a it was a thermal unit that didn't record. Yeah, thermal. and I believe it, yeah, the brand it was, was Leopold. So it's if you know that name, yeah, it it's a, right up there with quality as far as optics. Yeah, it was a really good one. I looked in it. It's like, wow, I have a FLIR unit, um, whatever it is, but um, a little Scout FLIR. But it, that thing was way better than the FLIR, the one I have. But anyways, we're sitting there. Mark also has this Ruger 44 Magnum Red Hawk across his waist because he was afraid of uh, mountain lions or bears, you know, because there's there are wild animals around. Not like we were hunting a Bigfoot or anything. We'd never shoot one. But we're just sitting there, and all of a sudden he goes, did you see that? And I go, no. It it was after it got good and dark. And he said he saw a white orb going through the trees. And being up on the ledge there, in the trees, if we're looking straight out, it's probably about 50 to 60 feet up. So it's going through the trees real slow, he said. I I didn't see it because I was looking in his monocular at the time and then we're sitting there a little while longer and we're we're hearing some stuff down there like the trees moving around and then here comes this red orb coming across he said it looked like it was in about the same spot and i saw that one it looked like a like a dim tail light on a car 60 feet up in the trees and i'm just like wow that is crazy and i go hey you know what they say when the orbs show up that's when the bigfoot show up and i was just kind of kidding you know because i'd heard that from people but i had never seen that but then it wasn't more than five minutes after i said that down to our right we hear this big tree snap like someone just took a big limb and just snapped it and i'm sitting there and the trail going down in there to our right kind of comes up maybe 20 feet below us, comes up at a 45 degree angle, coming up out of there. So I, we hear the big tree snap, probably two, three minutes later, Mark Parker jumps up, runs up the hill and gets in my truck, leaves his chair there. And I, I'm in the dark, I don't even have, I don't even have a light. Mm. So I just fold my chair up, walk up the hill and put it in the back of my truck. And he's over there kind of, um, bobbing his head up and down on the passenger side so i get in the truck and he goes go go get out of here so i'm driving away as quick as i could turn around and get out of there and he's like i saw one he's like panting and breathing heavy i saw one is what he kept saying get out of here let's go so we get up on the hill and then he's telling me saw saw one 
coming up that trail in his in his uh, monocular thing. Wow. And then he, he can carry the rest of it, but I had to go there the next morning and pick up his chair. <laughs> I wasn't going to go out there. And I was scared that next morning, too. I just pulled up there and looked around and ran down there and grabbed it and threw it in the truck and left. And, and you, then, also, you also had a, a sighting not too far away. Yeah. Can you down can in that talk about, same area talk about on that? the right? Yeah, you know, I like I said, I'd go up there about once a week. I would bait up the place, try all my little booby traps with a double-sided tape to get fingerprints and footprints. I would get those big, you know, if you have if you live in the country and you have mice or or vermin or rats or whatever, you got those sticky traps, and then the little vermin get stuck on them and can't get off. But I would nail those up on a tree, like eight feet up and rub a bunch of peanut butter behind it. So whatever had to get that peanut butter had to touch that sticky trap. So I'd come back, they'd almost all be gone. You couldn't find them, but I found one with a bunch of red fur on it. I don't know if it was a squirrel or a Sasquatch, but hmm. I was always doing, doing that kind of stuff down there, trying to get evidence. I had got fingerprints, finger swipes on the mirrors. Um, well, hold on a second, so, Daryl. You're skipping a part here. I want to mention he would do what was called the fly trap technique. It was one of these, you know, squatchy uh, tools to get DNA samples. And people would use double sided sticky tape and whatnot. And um, he was hammering like six inch construction nails, maybe more like six to eight inch construction nails through the plastic of these little mice uh, traps with sticky mm-hmm. stuff on them. Something on one of these occasions pulled the nail out. It had, it reached over the broadhead of the nail and pulled the entire yeah. nail out of the tree. And that's, I mean, there was no scarification on the paper. It wasn't like someone got in there with a hammer. Something with, with its fingernails, I don't know, had pulled the nail out of the, you know, the reprotted Doug fir tree. So that's what I'm saying is that there, along the way here, and Daryl, you tell your sighting here in a second, I'm constantly just beating myself over the head like, well, I got to figure out how this could be hoaxed. How could this be? How could this happen? You know, who? because it's not like everything's locked down. It's not on private property where we are. It can't be locked down. It's BLM. But um, then Daryl ends up seeing something in the middle of the day. What would you see, Daryl? Well, it was uh, one of those days I came to get my, I had always put my game cam out all the time and I would take that uh, old man moss or whatever they call it that hangs on the trees out there everywhere. And I would, I would disguise my game cam on a tree and then across from it, maybe 15 feet or less, I would rub peanut butter, put cookies, apples, marshmallows, whatever I could stick on the tree limbs. And then come back in about a week and get my game cam and see what was on it, which that's a whole different story. But um, that certain day, my grandson was with me, Gunner. He's a young kid, 20 years old, you know, thin. He could run up and down those hills like they weren't even there. But and me old being all beat up, I have to go slow because it's slick and muddy. So he goes down to the left to get the game camera. And as he's going down to the left, like I said, every time I went there, I had my phone ready, ready to take a picture or video or whatever. I I knew to get everything ready. 
So he goes to the left to go down in there. And as he's going to the left over to my right, and there's a there's trees there, so he couldn't have seen over to the right. Something comes up out of there, and I just catch a glimpse of it, and I see it's something big and black walking. So I just stand there against the tree and start snapping pictures. I probably snap 10 or 15 of them, and I see this thing walking, and it, I just catch two two steps of it walking away. And that's what I got the pictures of. It didn't look back at me or anything. It was just walking away at a at a pretty good pace. It wasn't running, but it was taking huge steps. You can actually see I got one picture snap, and then the next one, it's already walking behind the next tree. So its stride there was probably, I don't know, me and Tobe went over there and checked it out with his son. It was probably a six to more feet step that it did between the pictures there that I took. But that's, so that's I, the picture again. So my question for for both of you is, why do you think this area is has so much activity and people are experiencing so much stuff? What? Um, what? I would have to say, yeah, I would say, you know, the major power lines that are right there that go through the whole state of Oregon that pretty much feed the the whole state. And then there's spring water running under the ground there. And then there's all these um, quartz rocks everywhere, you know, gem rocks. So there's, you know, some people say that that creates some kind of vortex or a, a spot, you know, for things like that to happen. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know why. Why that's such a hot spot? You know, we had a, we had no idea there were Indian burial grounds, uh, which we eventually found as um, as late as actually this year. Um, I, I didn't know that, so there definitely was a Kalapuya connection, the local indigenous tribe. But there was also, and we get into this a little bit in our discussions when Daryl and I talk and have more time about a interesting religious sect that was down there called the the Hebrons and the Hebrons connection to the land there and the Old Testament um, there seems to be a cross connection between the giants of old and and this group of religious people that lived in Cottage Grove Lake called the Hebrons um, and yeah, we were getting a, there was a town there yeah, there was some synchronicity going on with this group. Um, you know, I try not to go down too many rabbit holes with it connected, but Daryl already covered the, the quartz and the power line connection. In short, who knows? It could have been the fact that we were interested in the topic and therefore it was game on. But, um, you know, the, as far as things being scary or freaky, it was just more or less an exciting time. Uh, for both Daryl and I, and we became kind of uh, war buddies, for lack of a better word. We we shared this experience together, and we really could have been any, you know, type of people with any type of background. I mean, my background is totally different than Daryl's, but that's what you find with these people, in, including uh, the two friends at the lake bed. You know, there's this, in, in the documentary I'm talking about, um, there's this cross pollination of a shared experience with, with this person. 
and it's not easily shaked. And so for that, Daryl and I will, you know, probably always be remembering. I mean, once a week, Daryl and I text each other. Remember that time? Remember that time? (laughs) And, um, you know, only recently I've been, um, you know, kind of just looking back at the, the experiences we had there and thought, well, you know, there was some re- we're not even talking about the really crazy stuff that happened there. We don't have time to do it, but some of the stuff really I had to wrap my head around like okay, that really did happen. Well, how the hell did that affect me long term? I mean, yeah, I'm an adrenaline junkie to a degree, but when this stuff actually starts influencing your life and decisions to to stay up for 19 or 20 hours for the better part of 3 or 4 months straight recording audio and looking through FLIR cameras, your health will take a toll and um, even your mental health. And so for me, I, I really have to step back and say, well, maybe I should reach into the, you know, Doug Meacham territory and see what's going on. Um, and I should mention too, since that interview happened with Doug Meacham, um, we've had people reach out to me and say, hey, I'm on a train right now to go see Doug or I'm on my, on my way to, you know, have a session. And so it, it did make a difference. It has made a difference to, to other witnesses out there. But for the most part, yeah. Daryl, would you agree that, you know, these were positive, fun, exciting yeah. experiences that you Pretty and I much. had? Yeah. But like I said, you know, you get kind of oblivious to stuff once it happens so much all the time. And it's kind of, I don't know, it works on your psyche maybe a little. Um, other, you know, things like when I was standing in your doorway, when you got home from work and that thing at midnight ran up behind me and there was nothing there. And you had the flare looking out, didn't see anything on it, but we both heard it. You know, we had all kinds of things happen there that, you know, we haven't even talked about. Also, you know, you're talking about the Hebron. I just saw a thing the other day about Skinwalker Ranch and the guy that owns it. He thinks there could possibly be a connection to some biblical artifact that's buried on that ranch. I mean, we had the Hebron there. Mm. That's where they settled, right there where we were. Who, who's to say they didn't bring something over from the Holy Land and it's lost out there? They lost it, buried it, left it, whatever. But I, I don't know. There's just all these rabbit holes, connections mm. you can go down if you want to take it there. What do you guys <laughs> think is the the final takeaway from all of this, what, what's the, the feel good moment or the life lesson that you guys kind of leave with? Cause you're both no longer there. It's a chapter that's semi-closed in your lives. What, what can you impart? What wisdom can you impart on our audience tonight from your experiences? The Al Moon. Daryl impart wisdom. Please do. <laughs> um, like I said in the beginning, I was normal when I got there. I was just like everyone else thinking, yeah, right, a Bigfoot. They're not real. They're just like the Loch Ness Monster. It was just kind of a kind of a da-da-da joke thing, you know, for people. And then as I started getting into it and all that, I'd go hunting and see all these weird stick structures. And it'd be like, wow, yeah. And my brother, you know, my brother was actually the Bigfooter. He's the one who got me into it and in the beginning and told me, Hey, look for this, look for that. And when I started doing that, like, Holy smokes, man, that's for real. And it just kind of 
snowballed from there with the with the um when we bought brought the knee impressions up but um i uh i was just like all the other people when i got to oregon yeah it's so thick here some 900 pound primate could live out here no one would ever ever even know it and then you know as as it progressed into you know you got to kind of have an open mind and all this crazy stuff started happening and then it just kind of takes you in another direction so that's why you got people that are still stuck on flesh and blood because they've just been out in the woods and they've seen one and that's as far as they went with it and as far as it took them but stuff like me and tobe we got it it took over us with you know all the stuff that was happening and all the weirdness and we didn't ask for it it just kind of happened yeah I, just to add to that you know um the uh, the documentary uh, pushed me in a new direction as far as looking at the Al Moon Lab, and there is this there's a type of evidence that we collected out there that's outside of most people's comfort zone. This exotic evidence, mostly, well, let's face it, there's a lot of physical evidence that we grab that we haven't got into beyond just these knee impressions, um, and I never wanted to cheapen the evidence along the way as far as doing uh, a, a shortcut on it. So Daryl and I, we spent a lot of time collecting evidence, including audio, video, and and biologicals, we'll say, of some, some brand or another. But the documentary itself has really, you know, it's it's helped me look at the possible implications of there being kind of a, a long-lasting psychological effect um on daryl and i we will forever be changed by that land um yes these these things seem to follow you to some degree they seem to have a half-life to some degree i think they called it a contagion out in the umatilla basin of some kind that you know migrates out to people around you it's just like a haunting in, in a lot of cases but it's made me really um I'm not scared to talk about the weirder stuff anymore like I used to just based upon the fact of the company that we all keep now. I mean, we know what we have experienced and Brett and Jill should be interviewed about what's happened to them that we really do need to do an episode where you, Mike and and Jill have uh, talked plainly about being influenced by Bigfooters because there is this the stuff that happens when you're around them, not only do we tend to ramble on, but these experiences seem to, they seem to bleed over into the company around you. And I think that you guys can testify that. So, you know, that's what the land did for, for Daryl and I is that it put us in a position of, of speaking, um, you know, not, not authoritatively on the supernatural, but it just gave us the confidence to say, hey, this stuff really happened. We had over 15 people uh, on the premises that were able to test uh, strange events, including people all around the Al Moon lab. Uh, some went on the record, some didn't. But it also created this lifelong friendship, which, you know, is where I'll like to end it. Daryl and I will be buds uh, for yeah. you know the rest of our life based upon something factual and strange um, a place that uh, we got to know.
Cool. It's very cool. And so many few people get to experience that type of bond in their lives, you know? Um, and so that's unique. And, and I think that one of the messages that, that we're trying to get across in the sequel is that people, you know, especially people that are somewhat skeptic and or hardened skeptics need to get out there with an open mind and just experience the world, you know, whether it's Bigfoot or UFOs or whatever, just internal spirituality, get out there and open your minds to something like that because this this universe isn't all that it appears to be that's for damn sure no and daryl just as a matter of i don't know if i've ever done this but you know i i think i i did but you know i i really owe them a debt of gratitude cindy included for allowing me to come down there and invest you know my time along with their their schedule to look into Bigfoot evidence and all this stuff. So it was uh, an incredible experience for a researcher. And um, anyway, thanks Daryl uh, for allowing yeah. that to happen. Yeah. Thanks for putting up with me and hanging out with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, it was pretty awesome. Really? Yeah. Well, it's a real love fest here at flash of beauty right now. Hey. And uh, that's not my style. So you can all, Piss off. <laughs> the Bigfoot yeah. romance ends. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Piss yeah. off. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. that's that's our story. But yeah. In closing here, Daryl, we wanted to get your fresh perspective on it and uh, get it kind of out of the way, I guess, because we're knee deep in it. Right, Brett? That's it. Yep. We're okay. knee deep in it. All right. Yeah. Well, if you have any further questions for Daryl Adams, he'll be speaking coming up, uh, gosh, the 19th of May, the week before the Forks Sasquatch Day, second annual Forks Sasquatch Day. Is it the Kayamichi Bigfoot Festival? Is that how I say it? I think it is, yeah. Yeah, so that yeah, will be a full-blown a... conference, and you can get tickets uh, if you go to the links of uh, the Kayamichi Bigfoot Festival, go to Daryl adams or my page here we have links to that we'll be speaking um i'll be speaking on the 20th of may 2022 and um that will be via 23? zoom 2023 sorry and uh, that's uh, that's going to be a zoom link on my end because it's somewhere out east what where is this conference actually being held besides zoom it's um it's actually the physical place is a little small community called Tallahena, Oklahoma. It's um, probably down down southern southeast Oklahoma. I would call it. Okay, yeah. and that's where you are. You're in, uh, you're not in Cottage Grove anymore. Daryl moved out to Oklahoma. He's still yeah, having activity out that way. Yeah, on the prairie. <laughs> so go Real check that land, out. I call it. Check out uh, the festival, and again the. Uh, the premiere, the second uh, showing or the second uh, part of Flash of Beauty Bigfoot Revealed is now Flash of Beauty, a Flash of Beauty Paranormal Bigfoot showing at the second annual Fork Sasquatch Day. Tickets are selling fast now. People tend to wait. Uh, the last three weeks, I urge you not to wait and get your tickets. Uh, you know, the one day pass and a three day pass in Forks, Washington. And if you want to see Daryl's uh, 
fancy high and tight haircut. You can see it on the big screen. <laughs> he holds it throughout the dock. And yep. uh, then you can see my bloated face as well. And it'll be a good time. And we'll talk some crazy Bigfoot stories. Have a good time in Forks. Daryl, thanks for uh, waxing poetic on the Bigfoot. Yeah. Appreciate it, Daryl. It's always Thank good you, to catch up. Yeah. yeah, nice talking to you guys. Hey, are you coming out to Oregon this yeah. summer or what? Uh, I probably will, yeah. Cool. Once the snow melts, it's probably still, what, another 20 feet deep out there? Yeah, something something like that. If if not, maybe more. Going, yeah. Going across. Wyoming. Well, don't, yeah. Don't be a, don't be a stranger. We'll uh we'll sit down and catch up and and share a piece of uh, Cottage Grove's famous Bigfoot fudge. Oh, <laughs> a plug. Oh, I love that stuff. Yeah, for Johnny. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Johnny, he's the best. Yeah, he's the he's the greatest. It's the best fudge you will ever have. Boy, why why is that not a not. sponsor? We should have thought of that earlier. Bigfoot fudge sounds like the perfect sponsor for this show. Yeah, Ooh. Johnny, if you're yeah. listening, we we want you to sponsor our show with product. <laughs> oh my god yeah. that wait a minute Send we're a on to something rocky road. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, the amaretto is just it's just it's, oh. it's crazy oh god yeah that guy's a magician on fudge man yeah mm-hmm. oh i want to mention real quick a shout out daryl maybe you know greg yost but greg yost recently uh, put up a post. He also goes by Squatch Man. He's a good guy. He's uh, just north of Oklahoma. And Greg Yost, Greg Yost, if you're listening to this, I hope you get the role as the as the face and the spokesman for the um, Sasquatch deodorant and soap company. Um, why am I th- <laughs> not awesome. thinking of it right now? What's Dr. the Squatch. Dr. Dr. Squatch. Dr. Squatch. So, so I hope you become the that's face cool. of Dr. Squatch. That's that's an amazing opportunity out of any Bigfooter I know. You fit the bill, dude. You are Squatch man. You deserve that. I hope you get that, dude. That's awesome. So check out. Give <laughs> Greg Yo some some love or Squatch man. All right. That's it for us. We're running out of time. Daryl, I will see you in the trees. Yes, sir. All righty. Thanks. Hey, Daryl. Yes. We, we were normal before we met you. This has been a Resonance Production podcast. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email us at bigfootrevealedpod at gmail.com. Also, if you're just discovering the Flash of Beauty universe, you can watch our documentary on most major streaming platforms. <laughs>